Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is John 9. I'm guessing most, if not all, of you could see from the moment you were born. Therefore, you don't remember what it was like to see things for the first time because you have always been able to see. Now, imagine that you were born blind and you live and you grow up and then your eyes are opened and you, you've heard things, you've smelled things, but now you see things for the first time. What an amazing experience that must be. And that's the experience that we read about in John 9. Now, we see a miracle here of Jesus healing a man who was born blind. But clearly, when you read this chapter, you are going to see that we're not just talking about physical sight here. This whole chapter is meant to show there is a deeper problem of spiritual blindness. And again, Jesus is the one who can open people's eyes. And that's what salvation is. All of us were born blind spiritually. But when we were saved, our eyes were opened and we could see things clearly for the first time. So let's look at the lessons of John 9. And as we consider the miracle itself, um, we can understand some things about suffering, right? It starts with an interesting question. They pass by this man who is blind from birth and the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Um, and so even I remember when we preached through this at Compass Bible Church, Treasure Valley, one thing we said here was we need to shed simplistic views of suffering because that's what the disciples are showing here. It's an oversimplified view of suffering that all suffering is the direct result of somebody's sin. Now, we need to be careful in our age that there's not an overreaction to that where we see no connection with sin and suffering. No suffering is in the world because of sin, but not all suffering is a direct result of your sin or your parents' sin. And we have to step back and say, God is God and I am not. I mean, consider one of the most powerful examples of suffering in the Bible is the book of Job. And when God shows up at the end, he doesn't give Job answers. He doesn't tell Job, hey, this is why I did what I did. And this is why all these things happened to you. He basically just says, hey, where were you when I created the world? And when I did all these other things that only God can do? I am God and you are not. And Job repents in dust and ashes. And we have to understand uh, because Jesus goes on to say, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And from a macro level, we have to admit suffering allowed in this world ultimately is going to allow the works of God to be displayed. 
And so sometimes we see that at a micro level, like a James 1, God's using trials to sanctify you. We also see that at a macro level, just in the broad sense, why is there suffering in the world? Well, ultimately, so the glory of God can be displayed in the midst of that. And so then we see Jesus heal this man. And it reminds us uh, suffering is here. We trust God's purpose in suffering, but someday suffering will end. And how will it end? Jesus. He is the Messiah who will end sin. He will end suffering once and for all. And even if you look at the prophecies of the Old Testament, that's what they describe about the Messiah. And so in the first coming, we get glimpses of that as he heals people like the blind man. But it's in the second coming that we will see the full resolution of the work that Jesus has started. So he heals this man. And then we start to see the responses. And that's where it really becomes clear that the point of this chapter is not merely about the miracle of physical sight. It's about the miracle of spiritual sight and the blindness that some still have. And obviously the blind here are the Pharisees. And the Pharisees cannot admit that their way is not working. The Pharisees are self-righteous. And even you'll see in some of the back and forth, there's disagreement about who Jesus is, where the blind man is pointing to look at what Jesus has done. That, that is proof um, that, that he cannot be who you say he is, the Pharisees. But in the face of undeniable proof, the Pharisees are still holding on to their own opinion because they cannot admit that they are blind and need a savior. And I think that is perhaps the biggest stumbling block, especially in our culture, to people getting saved. People don't want to admit that they are blind, that they are dead, and that their works aren't enough. People don't want to admit that they need saving. So the spirit of the Pharisees is very much alive and well. And I hope it's not alive and well in any of you that you're thinking, well, because I'm reading my Bible and I go to church, I am, I'm good. And if you've never realized, no, I am a sinner and I so desperately need a savior. We also see a contrast between this man's parents and the blind or formerly blind man. Uh, The parents when they are asked about their son, we see they don't say much. They say, um, we don't know. It says in verse 20, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So it says there they feared the Jews. And that's where we need to realize there always will be pressure to not believe what Jesus um, says. And we need to care more about what God thinks than any other person thinks. Also, the joy of the good news of the gospel should motivate us to push through uh, the opposition that we will encounter because we have good news to share and we are accountable to God. 
And so we can't be pressured by the world or step back and not confess what we know to be true um, because of the world. We want to declare the truth about Christ. And in contrast to that, you see that with the blind man. And he says one of, um, the, the I think, the most memorable lines in all the gospels in verse 25, because now the Pharisees come to him and they challenge him. And again, they're showing that they're not willing to consider the facts. They're not willing to to look at what Jesus has done uh, because they say to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know that though I was blind, now I see. And what an amazing and powerful statement that is. And I even just would encourage you, you can always come back to this in um, in your own evangelism. Uh, and sometimes I think people get intimidated thinking, I need to know everything before I can share my faith. And there's something that, that should challenge us to learn more so we can be a more effective witness, but you shouldn't let that stop you from sharing your faith. You should be bold. And this, this guy, he's, he's bold in a kind of innocent way. I recently heard a pastor talk about this text and, you know, he's like, man, the the Pharisees are giving this guy probably a dirty look, but he doesn't care because he's never seen a dirty look before. And he doesn't know what that looks like. So he's, he just kind of has this innocent boldness about him uh, that I think is something we should say, man, I want to emulate that where even in conversations where someone's challenging you with some argument or, or something that maybe you've never even heard of and you don't know how to answer it, you can bring it back to it. Well, one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. So I think there's some things we should learn from the blind man as we seek to share our faith. But again, the point of the chapter, while there are things I think we can learn about boldness from the negative example of the parents and from the positive example of the formerly blind man, the point again is that Jesus is the one who opens eyes. And at the end of this chapter, he reveals himself to this man. And he asks him, he finds him in verse 35 and says, do you believe in the son of man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. So even there, just one note to tuck away. Clearly this guy who was blind, he understood the title son of man to be referring to the Messiah. And Jesus clearly reveals himself to him. And he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So I I think we truly see the conversion of this man at the end of the chapter. And what do you see? You see Jesus doing what he does, seeking and saving the lost. He goes, he finds this man, he reveals himself to him. So a practical application for all of us should be really a deep sense of gratitude. We have not gotten rid of our blindness from anything that we have done. If we can see spiritually, it's because Jesus sought us and saved us and opened our eyes. And we should respond by saying, Lord, I believe and worshiping Jesus Christ, because he is the only one that can open eyes, whether it's with this miracle physically, or whether as we think through the spiritual reality of blindness, Jesus, the one is the one who has opened our eyes and he calls us to be bold. But in that boldness, we rely on him 
to open the eyes of the blind around us because he is the savior. That is what he does. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.